Hello, everybody. So, um, I'm doing this coffee chat. Uh, I'm leaving this coffee chat where, because Justin is not able to make it today. He has other obligations, other ninjas to fight. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't, um, it does not look like anybody else wanted to uh, to come. It's not like people said no, it's just nobody responded. It's like, okay, uh, does anybody want to be on the coffee chat? <clears throat> and uh, nobody said yes. It's, it's a little sad. I'm, I'm kind of by myself right now, you know? Um, I don't even know. Hold on. Let me go into the public facing thing and see if anybody's watching. Oh, shoot. 15 people are watching. Oh, you guys are you guys are wonderful. You guys are here. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, if anybody does want to join, uh, I can send you a message to go ahead and come on to the chat. And if you you know if you want to appear like either just voice or or video as well or something like that. But if you don't, that's okay. It'll just be me talking, answering some questions uh, that people might have about Monero, what's been going on with Monero, all that different type of stuff. So. Let's go ahead and get started. Does uh, I just want to go ahead and get started with anybody? Um, I just want to kind of like open the floor to any questions that anybody might have. <clears throat> so just one moment. I'm messaging a couple of people, seeing if I can't get them on. And if not, then we'll rock it. Nothing happened. Alrighty. So you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and start by uh, talking about some of the fun and interesting things that are gonna be happening coming up soon. For example, uh, we have a hard fork that's going to be occurring on October 18th, so that's not that far from now. Um, we're hoping to get the release out soon. Soon, uh, it's, it's it's hard to say you know when exactly these things are gonna be coming out, but we're hoping to get it out very very soon. Um, and this is a, this is a, we've recently started calling them just, uh, network upgrades, you know, not hard forks because hard fork, when people hear hard fork, they hear contention, like one side doesn't like this and one side doesn't like, um, the way that this one is going. So we're kind of forking away and it's not, I mean, it technically is a hard fork, but it's, there's consensus surrounding this hard fork. So basically, everybody is agreeing. You know what? We we agree that you know adding bulletproofs. That's one of the biggest things that's going to be added <coughs> into this um, into this next uh, upcoming hard fork. And everyone agrees that bulletproofs is nothing but good. It not, does nothing but increase privacy. So everyone has consensus there. Last time there was some people that were like, okay. Um, we we don't agree with uh, forking away from the ASICs. That's one of the other things we're going to be doing. Is once again the proof of work is going to be changing, uh, just slightly modified, so that way, um, if there are any ASICs or if there are ASICs being in development, they would be basically as useful as a couple of bricks. So, kind of throwing that away. Uh, and some people said, well, we don't really like that approach. We don't really like 
going in in that direction. So we decided to, they actually didn't fork from us. The idea is that they stayed on the original chain that we forked from and they took, <laughs> they took a free mine for their work of staying on the chain. Uh, but so that, and that gave kind of a an, an illusion that it wasn't there was no consensus, but really it was a very 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 small group of people who did not want to move. And it, it's it's there is suspicion that these are people that owned ASICs and they just didn't want their ASICs to be good for nothing. <clears throat> so hard fork coming up very soon, October eighteenth. Bulletproofs are going to go in there. Proof of work is going to go in there. We got some other stuff that's going to be going in there um yeah so we got a couple of questions we have a couple of questions i'm taking a look at some of the people saying coffee chat stuff okay so no come it's it's at a it's at a slightly different uh time because we <clears throat> oh this happens often um, just one second, I'm, I apologize. Okay. Yeah, so so can you guys still hear me? I apologize. I think my I think my mic just went out. Can you guys still hear me or not? Uh I'll, I'll wait for some responses. But um <clears throat> anyway, the uh, what was I saying? I got off track. Okay, you guys can still hear me. Great. Sorry, there's a small delay between what you what I put and what goes onto YouTube, so I'm having to to wait just a little bit. I apologize for that. So, uh, what do you feel about Loki? I'm I'm starting to look at some of the questions here. Yes, we will talk about the hard fork. Uh, um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but I'm going to look at the questions a little bit. I got a little off track. Uh, what do you feel about Loki web layer fork of Monero? I I have not looked into Loki. Uh, so I cannot give a, uh, I do know that it is a fork of Monero. Uh, and I do know that some of the people that used to work on Monero are now working on Loki. That's about all I know about it. Um, and that's that. I can look into it further and talk with you about it later for the most part. I mean, if it is private by default and with mandatory privacy, then I have no issue, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's, there's a few things to consider, like uh, do they have, well, you know, and this is actually something that I've been talking with some people about, um, kind of, we were talking about forks, forks of Bitcoin, forks of Monero, all this different type of thing. And um, we were discussing what, what, what is some justifications for forking and why, why would anyone fork? Because if let's say that there's some honest forks, what this does, unfortunately, is this kind of dilutes the developer pool. So instead of everybody working on something on a one project and kind of pushing it forward, if I fork for no reason and I bring some of the developers with me, well, that that can be not just divisive from a community level, but it's splitting resources. I mean, if there is a, a legitimate grievance, like, okay, you know, I don't like that we're doing this, then of course consensus says that you could go ahead and fork and do your own thing. But many people, like this is kind of what I look at with Litecoin, like they, they don't offer really a unique value proposition. They kind of tweaked some settings and they did a proof of work change. They, get a, they did a small proof of work change and they, they didn't really do anything else other than that. And so it's kind of, 
and they, they and I guess their their unique proposition is that they're trying to be kind of a test bed for Bitcoin. So that way, anything that's kind of too dangerous to put into Bitcoin at the moment, they can go and put it in Litecoin and see how it goes. And so, okay, that, that that's a unique proposition, and, and maybe that justifies its reason to exist. But there's so many forks of Bitcoin that really don't do anything but just tweak the proof of work algorithm or tweak the settings or something like that. And at best, these things are just diluting the developer pool, you know, people that could be working on great technology for Bitcoin, for Monero, that type of stuff are are doing something now that now they're doing their own thing. Um, and honestly, moving along at a snail's pace, whereas things would be going at so much faster if they were working on one project. Um, <clears throat> but alternatively, um, at worst, these things are scams, and you can't really tell the difference. You can't really look at these things and go, oh, well, this one's trying to be a test bed, and this one is not, because they can all make that claim. They can all make that test bed claim. Uh, for Monero and for Forks and stuff, I kind of have uh, a couple of uh, hard rules when I look at them. Uh, so one, the rule is like, what is their unique value proposition? If they don't have a unique value proposition, if they don't have a reason to exist, then it's basically a scam and I can't tell it's at, like again at best it's, it's diluting the developer pool for no reason at worst it's a scam um, if they do have a unique value proposition okay great there are some people that have forked Monero and um, they they have some something or oh let, let me let me clarify this unique value proposition just a little bit Saying that we are going to work on the mobile side of things or on the web side of things with our fork is not a unique value proposition. Because you, we could be working on more like web wallets, mobile wallets, or the web side of things or integrations in Monero. So if you fork the coin and you're going to work on something in terms of the external infrastructure as your unique value proposition, that is not, that, that, that is not one. Does that make sense? It's not It's not as simple as just saying like, well, we're going to work on this area of the external infrastructure. This is like if you have a legitimate grievance or you have a different idea, like, you know what, we're going to put, we're, we're going to implement a completely new different type of consensus than Nakamoto consensus. Okay, obviously this isn't going to work with Monero, so you're going to need to fork it off. And you know what, um, as Serene would always say, he'd like to see the mathematical um, proofs first before <clears throat> kind of uh, building from the foundation up, bottom-up development instead of top-down development. Um, and and I, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But for now, you know, just kind of hopping back onto this thing, uh, kind of saying we're, gonna, we're working on this part of the external infrastructure, that's not, that's not a unique value proposition. And many times they'll, they'll do an ICO or take a pre-mine for that. They could just as well find venture capital funding to make a product for Monero on the web or for Monero on, on mobile devices or something like that. So, so I'm, I'm talking about kind of like on a consensus level, there needs to be a, a difference of opinion or a new idea or something that wouldn't fly currently in Monero that, that would cause a split. Um, and so after that, like, do they have a real unique value proposition? It's like, okay, are they fungible? Which means are they private by default? Are they mandatory privacy, that type of thing? If they're not, automatic non-starter for me. Uh, basically, 99.9% .9 of these projects don't meet that criteria, so I I don't go out looking for new projects just because the amount of garbage that I'm going to have to sift through is much is very very small, 
and I don't have that kind of time and I don't have that kind of desire. Uh, if there is a great project, somebody can show me, it's like, oh, look, this is private by default. This is mandatory. This has a unique value proposition. Okay, you know, you can bring that to me. That's fine. I'll, I'll go ahead and take a look. I don't care. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Will the new fork be mindable with XMR stack? So XMR stack is an external third-party program. It is developed by Fire Ice UK and um, uh, Psychocryptor, Psychocryptor, whatever his name is. So these are two people that they develop XMR stack, uh, the XMR stack miner. Uh, it's up to them if they want to support the new changes of proof of work. It's not up to us. Odds are, because they make a significant portion of their income by kind of uh, taking one or two percent voluntarily from people that are mining. So for every hundred hashes that you make, one or two percent of those will be hashes for them kind of as supporting the, the, the developers. And you can turn that off if you compile yourself. If you run the binaries that they provide, it's automatically integrated in there. You can't turn it off. But um, if you compile yourself, then you can uh, take that out if you don't want them. And there's, as far as I know, there's no hard feelings. So XMR stack, it's totally up to them. Uh, odds are they will because a good amount of their income comes from that one or two percent, and they like the money. So anybody would like the money. <clears throat> October 18th is my birthday. Oh well, Anamnesia, or however you say, happy birthday to you on the fourth day. I, I will, I will make a shout out somewhere. Um, we, we'll integrate it into the consensus, if that's okay. We'll say, like, uh, we'll, we'll find this way to sign the block that it's your birthday, and we'll be very happy about that. So we'll all celebrate. Um, so then, El Luarua Buab. I never know how to say your name, dude. You do great work. I never know how to say your name. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he says we should talk about the mandatory update for 10.11. It's 10.18, dude. Isn't the fourth day 10.18? Um for DNSSEC issue. Okay, I'm not aware of that issue. I've been I've been I've been a little out of the loop um, for all of the super integrated happenings. I've been traveling. I've been to with to a conference with Serang. I've been to Russia. I've been to uh, Las Vegas for DefCon, and so I'm kind of getting resituated here. Let me grab some water. All right. Um, <clears throat> Da, 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 da. Okay. I'm sorry if this is just going to be um, a lot of a lot of me talking. Uh, let me let me take a, just a quick look, see if anybody else is here. Da, da, da. Oh, Serang wants to join. Yay! Okay, but it might be a little bit later. <clears throat> let me go ahead and shoot him the link. See, and, and this is where SGP shines when there's other people because I can be talking and he can send the link and there's no break in in communication. Um, but unfortunately for us, we just have me. Uh, and sent. See, that wasn't so bad, right? We got through that. We got through this together. All right. <clears throat> yes, I see. Look on IRC. Serang and less, less, less want to join. Ooh, less, less. Share with less, less. Okay, perfect. All righty. How a small business can accept Monero as a form of payment? This is an awesome question. This is the biggest question. You know why this is the biggest question? Let me tell you why this is the biggest question. This is the biggest question because people are always talking about mass adoption. 
um, they're like, we need to, we need to be adopted. We need to um, have mass adoption. And what, and I don't think people really kind of sit down and think about what goes into this. What goes into mass adoption? What makes something more? Um, what gives businesses incentive? So, and, and this is this is the problem. It's a two-pronged problem. What I mean by that is, you can imagine an outlet, right? And you, so you have something you want to plug into your outlet. You don't plug one portion and the other. It doesn't work that way. It's not going to push in. You have to push both in at the same time. And so these um, adoption is a two-pronged problem where two things kind of have to happen at once. Two things have to happen at the same time. Um, Oh, somebody popped in, I think. Yay, it's Serang! Hoorah! Hoorah. Okay, now there's somebody else here. Um, just a second. Sure, sure. Okay, say something. Okay, does it work? Yeah, it does. Yay, it's great. It's great to have you on. Um, sorry, this is the, this is the derpiest uh, coffee chat ever, but we're here. Um, so I'm, I'm literally in a coffee shop. We're, we're talking about we're talking about mass adoption. Can I, I'll finish my thing and then I'll I'll um, no, actually you know why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself first and then I'll go ahead and finish my little spiel. Okay, so I am Sarang and I am one of the researchers for the research lab, and I'm reporting from an actual coffee shop this time. And didn't realize it was rescheduled, so hence the giant headphones. Which, yeah, whatever. We make do. So, yeah, glad to be here. I guess answer any questions, talk about anything new. Yay. Okay. So, uh, for those who don't know, Serang works with the Monero Research Lab and he does awesome, awesome, incredible work. And he just, he never stops. He just goes on and on and on. Um, both, both of our PhDs that we hire through the forum funding system do amazing work. And they just completed their next round of funding. So they are good to keep researching and doing their stuff for the next three months. So big hand. Um, for those who don't know, Monero Moo is currently waiting for funding. So go to forum.getmonero.org. You know what? Let me just go ahead and link the actual um, funding proposal so you can go fund that. Because you should go fund that. We don't want freeloaders. Nobody wants freeloaders. Um, if you benefit from Monero or you like Monero or something, then everyone should be supporting Monero. So let's go ahead and paste that in there if it's going to let me. Oh, it is going to let me. Yay. Great. Okay, so you can go, you guys should go ahead and do that. So let me go ahead and finish my spiel, then we'll move on to Serang, who will say a lot more interesting things. Um, so so the, the idea behind adoption, um, just, just to finish this conversation up really quick, the idea behind adoption, I said, is a twofold problem. Two things have to happen at the exact same time. Um, otherwise, it gets really difficult. So one, users have to have, so we're just going to talk in the context of Monero. Users have to have Monero. Why would a business add payment options for Monero if nobody is going to use them? It's going to take them time to set up that infrastructure, set up their wallets, and, so, and they're just not going to have that incentive to do so unless users have Monero and they're going to use it to purchase goods and services. But at the same time, users have no real incentive to kind of hold and spend Monero if there's no businesses that are going to be accepting it. Then basically the only thing we can do with it is hold it and trade it. So at the same time, what has to happen is businesses need to adopt a Monero as a way to be paid at the same time that users are willing to spend Monero as currency, as money, and not just something to hold. So. It's kind of the two-prong problem, and there's UX on both sides. We need to make sure that the 
the onboarding process for businesses is as easy as possible and uh, holding and, and using that Monero is also as easy as possible. Um, and for the user side, we need them to be able to spend it as easy as possible. Um, but to, to answer your very literal question, how can a small business accept Monero as a form of payment? We have several ways that you can do that. For example, there is the Casisto project. Uh, if you if you do a, a search, a DuckDuckGo search, not a Google search because we're privacy people. If you do a DuckDuckGo search of, it doesn't flow off the tongue as well, does it? Of uh, Monero Casisto, K-A-S-I-S-T-O, um, you're going to go ahead. You're, that's kind of for uh, brick and mortar buildings. It allows a person to, um, it's just an interface for a business to kind of display a QR code to a customer and for that, I can go ahead and link a video, it's quite cool, of some, of just kind of a, um, I'm not gonna be able to find it. Um, I will find it while Serang talks about fun Serang things. So Serang, um, there's, there's some questions kind of on the hard fork and we've kind of very lightly touched on um, bulletproofs are going to be added. There's going to be a slight proof of work tweak. Is there anything else that you would like to add in terms of what's going to be what people can expect for this upcoming hard fork? Yeah. So for the next upgrade, the big thing is going to be bulletproofs, of course, and that's going to shrink transactions hugely. Um, we're looking at probably at least 80% reduction in transaction size and a corresponding reduction in, uh, in fees too. Um, this also means that as transactions um, get bigger in terms of outputs, the savings get even bigger which is fantastic. Before, we got really bad scaling on that. Uh, now we get really good scaling. Uh, the timing is going to be a lot faster than it was before. Uh, we'll have exact numbers for that once we kind of get the final code base running. Um, just the range proof part, which is really what bulletproofs replace, uh, that portion of the transactions alone, we have that um, optimized up to 40 times faster than we did before, which is pretty fantastic. Um, we'll have to work that into kind of the, the large batched full transaction numbers you know, once we once we get the code a little bit, um, I guess a little bit kind of more nailed down is in terms of exactly you know which patches are going to be thrown in there and such. Um, standardizing the ring size is going to be good for kind of reducing the availability of statistical analysis and making sure the transactions don't stand out. Those are kind of the two big ones, but um, those are both really kind of big user-facing things that we're really excited about. I'm very excited about. Oh, I'm also wearing a shirt. Uh, from Rarar's Cypher Market Shop. I'm gonna plug that for you too. Yeah, it's a good shirt. Uh, I, I guess I will shill Cypher Market a little bit later. Um, it's, it's a fun project and, and heck, uh, for the only two people that nobody can get mad at me for doing that. Don't worry guys, it's not an ICO. It supports, it's not an it's, uh, no, it's not. Buying buying the shirt does actually support Monero Research Lab and individual designers. So. Okay, um, so we had a, a question, one uh, that says one of the biggest, and I think this is something that you can kind of talk about because this, this kind of talks about um, linkability of transactions and stuff. So the question on the YouTube channel um, that I got is one of the biggest threats to this whole project is the in and out points for XMR to fiat or kind of vice versa. Anything being done on that? So do you want do you want to really uh, quickly talk about so if you use a KYC AML exchange what are the risks in terms of linkability of your transactions or like AEA attacks a a e a b a e attacks he'll he'll tell you better um, and and what, yeah, what so, you know, yeah 
Yeah, so the idea is kind of this, this, this idea that if an exchange knows who you are, then they might be able to get a little bit of metadata about the transactions that you're doing with them. Um, I mean, to some extent, that seems, on one hand, that kind of seems obvious, right? If a KYC AML exchange knows your personal data, then of course they know who you are. Um, but the goal is to ensure that your transactions are still as private as possible. Um, kind of the classic example that we looked at um, a while back was saying that maybe you know a powerful organization or government um, knows that someone is selling, I don't know, illegal beanie babies in the black market or something. They don't really know who it is. They suspect that it's Bob, who is someone who is a member, who is a customer of KYC AML. Maybe government organization does some control purchases of these illegal beanie babies with this anonymous vendor. Then they know those particular, uh, those notes or outputs that they're spending for that vendor. And of course, those notes and outputs would be included in a lot of other people's transactions because that's how ring signatures work. Um, but anytime that that merchant starts to kind of work that funding through the Monero system, um, we know that uh, those notes or outputs are going to appear in those ring signatures because they are the true spenders. And the question is eventually if Bob, who it turns out is that actual uh, illicit vendor, will say, once, that, once Bob actually goes to the KYC AML exchange and uh, you know, ends up making a deposit to withdraw yeah, currency, for example, um, then that output would appear in the transaction history of Bob's transactions leading back to that original purchase. And the issue with that, of course, is that, you know, does the exchange know that that in fact was Bob because of the fact that ring signatures kind of obscure the fact that output uh, will appear in other people's transactions too. So the nice thing is the exchange can't prove anything. So ring signatures do provide a mathematical guarantee of the statement of the trying to prove about um, individual outputs being, you know, equiprobable as being a true spender. But the question is, are there heuristics that the exchange can use to try to think, hmm, it seems a little bit more likely than not that maybe that illicit vendor is actually Bob. So one thing that people can do for this is um, we can do tweaks to the ring size to ensure that outputs get used in a lot of other transactions. That means that you're kind of being able to hide your own outputs among other people's, which is a good thing. Um, other things that we can do is we can so do so-called churn operations where you end up sending the funds to yourself. Of course, we use one-time addresses to obscure who's actually receiving them. Um, then the question is how often should you do that? What are the timing restrictions you should use on it? And those are things that we're still working out. Um, so this kind of this whole this whole idea of heuristics versus provability, and all that this style of attack really gets is potential heuristics for the exchange. So if you are truly worried about anyone knowing who you are, well, you shouldn't give personal information to an exchange in the first place. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, but the second thing is we do want to come up with better best practices to ensure that even heuristics, which are not provable anything, are made as relevant as possible. So there's still ongoing research going into that. It's a surprisingly tricky problem because it's really hard to say what looks suspicious. Because that definition can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So um, I guess the short answer is we're on it. And the longer answer is we're very much on it for the reasons that I said. If that answers a little bit. So I wouldn't say necessarily that anyone is at risk. Um, but, you know, there are inherent issues involved with giving your personal information to a known exchange. So that's basically offering up some liability on your own to exchange. And if you're worried about that threat model, then that's something you should, you know, keep in mind as you're operating with that. What would you What would you say about like some another way of kind of blackballing outputs that we know to be 100% like kind of KYC AML because those are technically zero mixing transactions? Uh, what What would you say to kind of so right now we have a 
a community maintained voluntary or black ball list? What, what would happen if on an infrastructure level, uh, certain exchanges or major exchanges would like commit to adding their, um, adding the, any outgoing transactions to the black ball list so that way we're not mixing with any of them. Like I, I realize on an infrastructure level that's, that would be really difficult to convince all the exchanges, it'd be impossible to convince all the exchanges, but like what if, you know, kind of uh, many of the major exchanges were willing to do something like that, would that be helpful? Um, that seems a little risky to me. Right now the way that we do blackballing is essentially only at a wallet level, not a protocol level allowing users to look at the chain and say, okay, I can guarantee mathematically that all of these outages were spent. I don't need to trust anyone else to do so. I can see that they were used in a certain number of sets, and I go to set theory to say that those things were probably spent. Or if we look at, you know, contentious forks, like the prime forks that we had, we get spends on both of those chains, and we know, for example, that we can prove spends on that. Um, the minute you allow a third party to go and start blacklisting things arbitrarily, you know, that opens it up to potential denial of service attacks. Um, unless we do it really carefully, they can, you know, potentially lie about it and make certain funds practically unspendable. I think that that gets pretty tricky pretty fast. Mm. The way they're doing it right now is we try to ensure that any blackballing is done in a provable way that does not mean you have to trust anybody. So blackballing does not mean that your outputs are at risk of getting lost. These are outputs that we already know have been spent. No. I think it'd, okay. be nice, it'd be nice if we could find a way to do that safely, but uh, it's, it's tough when you start introducing third-party trust into the picture. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, because uh, I guess my idea was kind of like it's it's not it's not integrated into the consensus level. So, I mean, it, it's a voluntary blackball list. You don't have to use it. It's, right. It's voluntary, but you know, if if enough people start using it, then you know, you know it becomes sure. in some sense. Sure. Sure. I'd like to, that as much as possible to just prove the spin outputs where we know that no one's having their funds lost just because you know they got caught up in some statistical anomaly. Sure. Great. All right. Thank you, Sharang, for that talk. We've got somebody else who joined us here right now. Would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, hi, folks. Uh, my name is Evgeny. Uh, I'm a Nero enthusiast. Uh, I'm happy to represent Monero on the local Bitcoin meetups. Uh, I'm just in love with the technology, um, and I, I'm really grateful to to the team behind it uh, that made such a wonderful thing. So simpler guys like me uh, can be considered, uh, you know, just with the application, applications uh, and uh, think how we can use it uh, push mass adoption so to say and uh, going back to the mass adoption question uh, I would like to share some ideas that we was discussing lately so uh, when we are talking about mass adoption we, we want to understand on what market we are operating if it, it's, it's a little bit more easier in the digital space right when you are not going into the mid space into the real life it's much easier it gets a little bit harder when you want to sell something that exists in the mid space and uh, at this at, at that time uh, we need to understand in what jurisdiction do we operate if it's united states or european union it's one story if it's a uh, post-Soviet space, 
or Asia, it's a very different story. For example, as you might, as you might hear, uh, the last dictator of the Europe, uh, President Lukashenko of Belarus Republic, he uh, signed a dec decree which will legalize all cryptocurrency operations after the parliament will sign off the decree. So it will be legal, legal uh, to uh, mine, to uh, exchange uh, crypto for fiat money. I'm not sure if it will be legal to use it to purchase services and pay bills, but it will be definitely legal on the territory of that country uh, to exchange it to the fiat money and back. There will be no problems with that. Uh, and you know that that you know that will move uh, scales a little bit. I mean, the European Union will it, it, basically it's the same continent. Uh, the European Union countries will need to react somehow to you know to these changes because it's kind of a breach in the fence. And there are countries like Estonia within the European Union that are keen to push the uh, cryptocurrency adoption uh, further. It's possible, for, for example, it's possible to buy a cryptocurrency exchange in Estonia, which is not the thing in most other European countries. And it doesn't cost a lot, actually. Uh, the other thing is uh, Asia. Uh, right now, I'm located in Vietnam, in Southeast Asia. And uh, the funny thing, we were talking about this mass adoption recently. And uh, there was the idea to build a POS, very simple POS, uh, based on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, that will, and, and give it, and, and you know, install it in different coffee shops. And uh, provide some kind of a merchant service. So, for example, if customer pay for a coffee, the, the coffee shop will not actually hold the Monero for a long period of time. It will just sell it off immediately to the exchange. Right to use Cassisto on Raspberry Pi uh, to build an exchange where liquidity providers will be a small businesses, and also it's uh, not completely legal to do that stuff. There are there are businesses who are pretty uh, pretty okay with that. Okay, just install the stuff, and uh, if customers want to use it, I'll do it because you know. Uh, the, the laws, uh, there, are, there are different perspectives on the government regulations in different jurisdictions. So, uh, when it, when you know, I, I, I want to believe that uh, cryptocurrencies will be adopted in the different places of the world. And eventually, that will move, uh, that, that will make uh, European Union countries, Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, uh, reconsider their approach and make it easier for people to use and uh, it will be better for everyone. All right, thank you so much, Evgeny, for your uh, perspective there. It's a, um, it's definitely a, diff a difficult problem because it doesn't just spend, we're not just targeting one country. So we, you know, we can't just kind of narrow our, our ideas down to Okay, this is what we want to do. This is what we're trying to to accomplish with this country, because there are different countries that have different opinions that want to implement different stuff. That um, <clears throat> you know, all and and all of them have different views on cryptocurrencies. Period. And even I'm sure more of them will have 
uh, stricter, harsher views on something like Monero because of its privacy features. So it, it really does um, become a, a difficult issue that is not easily solvable. Mass 